Hello, B4 Church. I'm so honored to be um, sharing God's word this morning. I really am um, just humbled to be able to do that. I wanna say a couple of things before I get started though. First of all, this is my home church and I just, um, I just am so grateful that God directed my wife and, and my kids to this um, body and we're just so um, blessed to be here and getting to know people and we've been here for four years, almost five years, and it's just been a blessing and just an enriching time for us. And recently, um, with the pastoral transition, I'm just really excited um, to be a part of this church under uh, Brad Williams' leadership as well, and the rest of his team, who, by the way, do so many things behind the scenes. Me being a part of this process of just preparing for this message, I just see how many people work so hard um, to just minister and to bring God's word and to lead us into worship. It's just, it's a wonderful time uh, to be together, but there's so many people behind the scenes making it happen. And again, I'm just um, here as just one among you. And God has put something on my heart uh, this morning, and, and I just wanna share it with you. First of all, um, Brad asked me to share and to kind of wrap up the series that we've been in. And I wanted to say a couple things about that. First of all, it's just been a phenomenal 27 weeks, or I think it's, yeah, 27 weeks. It's just been amazing how many uh, powerful things have taken place and, and the amazing teaching, and I'm just so thankful. And, and I know um, some of you are watching from all over the place, because I know not only people that, it, that call be, um, before their home, but people from all around, um, literally around the world watch um, what is being taught here. And I'm just so thankful for that. And a lot of people have commented to me just how much they appreciate the ministry of this church. But it created a little bit of anxiety for me because in my mind, wrapping up a series, I just have been thinking about all the amazing things that I would want to say that I don't want anybody to forget that we've been learning together. And that's been really hard. And so I am gonna say right up front, I'm not gonna go back and I'm not gonna highlight all kinds of stuff, but I am gonna just say a couple of things to set up the context for the message this morning. And um, I'm really excited to share with you. So first of all, I just wanna say that the book of Acts is, in my opinion, better said, the book of the acts of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church. It is the Spirit of God working in and through the church that we see amazing things take place. It's the Holy Spirit who works in the lives of people who are surrendered, who are filled with the Holy Spirit, who are led by the Holy Spirit to carry out the ministry and mission of Jesus to the ends of the earth. And one of the things that I wanna highlight is that everything that we read about Everything that we've been looking at is really a promise fulfilled that Jesus himself spoke of. Jesus told his disciples, essentially, what you see me doing as you walk with me and you see what's taking place, you will do even greater things. He said that to them. The other thing he told them was he said, I'm sending you, I'm sending you I'm authorizing you, I'm giving you all authority to do what you see me doing and more. But all of that is gonna take place because of 
the Holy Spirit working in and through their lives. And that's really important for us to recognize. If the church, if his disciples are to carry on his ministry, then what is his ministry and his mission? What was it that he initiated? What was it that he inaugurated? And I think the writer of Acts is also the writer of the Gospel of Luke, and he puts it this way in Luke chapter 4. When Jesus describes his ministry and and in some way encapsulates what he was called to do, this is what he says. He says in verse 18 of chapter four, the spirit of the Lord is on me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He sent me to proclaim freedom for the prisoners and recovery of sight to the blind, to set the oppressed free, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. And this is the ministry of which the church has been given to embody and to carry out. In John chapter 20, this is what Jesus says in verses 21 and 22. He says, peace be with you. As my father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, receive the Holy Spirit. And this passage demonstrates the continuity between the Father's mission, Jesus' mission, and the ongoing mission of the Holy Spirit in the life of the church through the witness of his disciples that exist as the church in the world today. We are brought up into the activity of God in the universe. Jesus told the disciples, He said, you must wait for the Holy Spirit. Wait for the gift that my Father has promised because you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses to Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Therefore, the Holy Spirit goes before the church with supernatural power and love. We are recipients of that love. We are recipients of all that God offers us. Freely we have received and freely we give. And that's what we see in the book of Acts. People full of the Holy Spirit, baptized in the Holy Spirit, carrying on, not their ministry, but carrying on the ministry of Jesus to the world. We've been given that task. One of my personal favorite stories in the book of Acts is in Acts chapter 10, where the Holy Spirit is at work in a man's life. His name is Cornelius. And at the same time, he's at work in another place in Peter's life, who's a disciple of Jesus. And the Holy Spirit orchestrates this whole thing where they come together, and Peter presents the gospel to him. But the key to recognize is that the Holy Spirit is the missionary who leads Peter to Cornelius. See, before we ever get to somebody to share the good news, what we have to recognize is that the Spirit got there before us. And that's what this story shows us, that the Spirit was already at work in Cornelius's life. It's one of my favorite stories because it also sets the trajectory for where the Holy Spirit is leading the church. 
to the Gentiles. This message, I want to give a little bit of context to. We're going to be looking at actually Acts chapter 28, but I want to just share a few things with you to set up the context in Acts chapter 27. First of all, it's a story in Acts chapter 27 about Paul, who is a prisoner. He's a disciple of Jesus. He's a prisoner, and he's on his way to Rome, from Jerusalem to Rome. Now, again, for the sake of brevity, I don't want to spend a lot of time on the background, but I'm going to just give you a couple of pointers. He's a prisoner. He's in chains, and he's being taken from Jerusalem to Rome. And this journey ends up being something that I think every one of us would be scared to death to experience. I personally don't like boats. Um, I'm not a boat person. One, I've been on one long enough to know that I get seasick. Number two, um, it's too confined for me. Um, you know, people that go on cruises, they've told me how much they love cruises. But for me, the idea of being on a boat, it's too confined. And I've seen just a couple of movies that um, have actually really scared me. I don't want to be on a boat that sinks. It's just not my thing. And again, I'm also not a good swimmer, and that might be a part of why I don't really want to be on a boat. But here's a story about Paul, who's a prisoner, and he's on his way to Rome to stand trial before Caesar. And the boat is, is on this journey. And in Paul's mind, he's thinking, whatever happens to me in my life, I know that God is in control, and my life is in his hands, and I trust in his will. So for him, in a lot of ways, he's just okay. In fact, he sees the journey as an opportunity to be able to share Jesus with people along the way and to see some of the believers, other followers of Jesus along the way. But they get on this journey, and there's a centurion that's kind of keeping an eye on him. His name is Julius. He actually becomes a good friend of Paul's. He looks out for him. He shows favor to Paul, but they get set and they head out on a dangerous journey. In fact, at one point, Paul, Paul warns the centurion, hey, we shouldn't go any further because it looks like things are going to get really dangerous. And the centurion decides to follow the directives of the pilot or the captain, whatever you want to call him, and this is one of those passages where I want to just say to anybody here, if, there's ever, if you ever wanted scripture to be able to go back and tell someone, I told you so, this is it. Because Paul later on in the story actually goes back to the centurion. Now when they're fighting for their life, he goes, see, I told you we shouldn't have left. And it's right there in the scripture, I, the I told you so. And so they, they're on this journey and the storm sets in. And it's one of those stories where they're going to lose their life. The ship is falling apart. I mean, they're trying to literally tie it, tie it together and hold it together by ropes. Days go by. I mean, they are in really, really bad trouble. This storm is raging, and they need to be rescued. They really do. They're in bad shape. They're losing their food. They've gone days without food, and they're getting desperate. And then Paul has a visitation from an angel. And the angel says, look, you're gonna get to safety. You and everybody else, 276 people were on this journey, but no one, no one is to leave the boat. I have a plan for you. You must go to Rome and I will essentially protect you. This is what the angel is saying. He's a messenger of God. 
So Paul tells everybody that while all this is happening, it's okay. They go another 14 days in the storm and they're in really bad shape. And some of them decide that they want to jump the boat, jump out the boat and save their, themselves. But Paul reminds them, if, every, if one person leaves, we won't be saved. Everybody's got to stay on the boat. Make a long story short, eventually they hit a sandbar. They're, they're able to escape the boat. The boat falls apart and they land on an island. They're, they all live and they land on this island. And this is where I want to pick up the story. They land on this island and there's an interaction that takes place. There's this ministry that takes place. There's this surprising encounter that takes place by staying and landing on this island called Malta. And so in Acts chapter 28, this is what it says. This is going to be our main text. Once safely on shore, they found out that the island was called Malta. The islanders showed unusual kindness. And we're going we're to go back and we're going to look at that phrase, unusual kindness. They built a fire and they welcomed, they welcomed all of us because it was rainy and cold. Paul gathered a pile of brushwood and as he put it on the fire, a viper driven out of the heat fastened on his hand. When the islanders saw the snake hanging from his hand, they said to each other, this man must be a murderer. For though he escaped the sea, the goddess of justice has not allowed him to live. This is what they believed. But Paul shook the snake off into the fire and suffered no ill effects. The people expected him to swell up or to, so, or to suddenly fall dead. But after waiting a long time and seeing nothing unusual happen to him, they changed their minds and they said, he's a God. They still don't get it, but it goes on. It says, there was an estate nearby that belonged to Publius, the chief official of the island. He welcomed, every, um, he welcomed us to his home and showed us generous hospitality for three days. His father was sick and in bed, suffering from fever and dysentery. Paul went to see him and after prayer, placed his hands on him and healed him. When this had happened, the rest of the sick on the island came and they were also cured. They honored us in many ways. And when we were ready to set sail, they furnished us with the supplies we needed. And that's the main part of the text that I want to look at. But I want to just jump all the way to the end of chapter 28. And I want to read just a couple of verses here. These are the last two verses. It says, therefore, Paul's, Paul, after getting to Rome and speaking to his fellow Jewish um, friends and, and people that, that he used to associate with, they were obstinate. And, and some of them believed and some of them didn't believe in the gospel. But this is what he says. Therefore, I want you to know that God's salvation has been sent to the Gentiles and they will listen. And we've seen that through the book of Acts that there are some people that receive and there's some people that don't. And, the, and in this case, Paul moves on to the people that are receptive and it's the Gentiles who are being brought into the household of God. And then it ends with this last verse about Paul. It says, 
for two whole years as Paul was awaiting trial, he stayed there in a rented house. He was like on house arrest and he welcomed all who came to see him. And then verse 31 says this, he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. And here's what I wanna say as we conclude this series. The story doesn't end there. You and I are the unfolding story of the Holy Spirit leading the church in these days, in our time. We are the unwritten chapters of the book of Acts. We have intersected into this story and this narrative. And what I wanna propose is that we can't read the book of Acts without recognizing the Holy Spirit is leading the church into surprising moments, into things that they didn't expect. And in the process, the church is being transformed itself. If there are people that don't perceive or see or understand the goodness of God, the church itself, you and I as followers of Jesus are continually seeing, perceiving and understanding the grandeur of God and what he's up to in the world. We are commissioned to carry out the ministry and mission of Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit to turn the world upside down. And that is still taking place today through our lives. Doesn't this year of 2020 seem like a shipwreck and chaotic? Doesn't the chaos that Paul and everyone on the boat went through, doesn't that seem similar to the turbulent waters that we're going through, the, the, the chaos? Doesn't it seem like we're off course? Doesn't it seem like we're off the map? Doesn't it seem like there's so much uncertainty in the world today? And see, what we have to recognize is that we've been given the Holy Spirit to help us navigate these days that we're in. I want us to look at, in this narrative, I want us to look at three things, fire, snake, and fever. Fire, snake, and fever. These are motifs that I want to use in this message to communicate, to help us see how the unfolding story of the Holy Spirit leading the church is taking place. So let's look at this. This unfolding story of the Holy Spirit leading the church is taking place. The first thing that we see is that the Islanders showed unusual kindness to Paul and all of the crew. They built a fire and they welcomed them. The Bible says that they were welcomed and they were received from the rain and the cold. Now, I love to start a fire. I, that's one of the things I love about camping. And I, I, so I love that we're looking at this, but the first point I want us to look at is this, the Holy Spirit is propelling the church, propelling us toward surprising encounters with people. That's what the fire represents. This was a surprise. Now these people on Malta, they're not Greek, they're not Romans, they're not Jews, they're kind of hybrid. And in some ways, they're the least likely or in some ways, surprisingly, 
that, that the Holy Spirit would be working in their lives. But the very fact that they show this hospitality, this unusual kindness, leads us to understand that the Spirit is at work. But here's what's really key, is I still can't figure out whether in that day and age they had s'mores, and that matters to me, because I can't imagine a campfire without s'mores, but maybe it was kebabs or something, I don't know. But let's look at the fire moment. Let's look at what's going on here. The first thing that I think is really important for us to understand is that Paul, who is a carrier of the gospel, arrives in weakness and not in power. The gospel does not arrive in power. It arrives in weakness, in vulnerability, and in humility. Paul and the crew, everything that they experience has traumatized them. They have gone through an amazing array of chaotic events. And it's precisely at their urgent need of being wet and cold and hungry and tired, despairing and dying, that they are welcomed by a surprising group of people. Remember, this was not a destination for them. This is where the shipwreck landed. This is where the winds sent them. And I wanna, I wanna talk about how important it is for us to understand that the gospel, it doesn't matter if you're rich or poor. It doesn't matter if you're strong or weak. It doesn't matter if you're broken. It doesn't matter who you are, whether you're privileged or underprivileged. The gospel is not propped up. It doesn't need to be propped up by anything. It can arrive in weakness and still be the powerful gospel in people's lives. One of the things I think it's important for us to understand is how Jesus came from heaven to earth. How did he arrive? Did he arrive in power or did he arrive in weakness? He transcended time and space and Dietrich Bonhoeffer puts it this way. Christ came not as a privileged human with access to religious or worldly prestige. He came incognito to live as a man among men on the other side of humanity. He chose solidarity with sinful humanity as a, as a beggar amongst beggars, as an outcast amongst, amongst outcasts, despairing among the despairing and dying among the dying. Jesus is referred to in the gospels as a friend of sinners. And you and I, when we hear that about him, because we know what that means, we see it as a compliment. But in his time, in his day, this was a derogatory statement, but it only affirmed where Jesus was found. Among the dying and the despairing and the weak. See, Jesus didn't come in power, he came in weakness so that the power of God may be demonstrated in his life and that God's power would be seen. And I think that sometimes we see ourselves oftentimes as more of a host who has something to offer to the needy. In other words, we have power, we have something to give. Givers give to the needy. And this is good, we know that this is a beautiful thing to provide or to care for people and to offer our resources to them. 
It's important for us to develop a theology and a practice that models the hospitality of Jesus, where we invite people into our environment. We invite people into our lives. We invite people into our culture. We invite people from out there somewhere into our world. On the other hand, this narrative, as we also see, it's important for us to develop a theology and a practice of being a guest that enables us to receive hospitality from the kindness of strangers, people who believe very different things than we do. There's a vulnerability to this that I think is really hard for us in this day and age. Let me give you an example. In culture right now, in our country, there's a power grab taking place. At the end of this election, for the next president, some people will feel threatened or disheartened by who ends up with the power. No matter the outcome or the chaos that may come, no matter how disempowered we feel, depending on who we want to win the election, here's what's important for us to understand. If we're weak or we are the empowered, it doesn't matter, it shouldn't matter because God is in control and is sovereign over all empires. The gospel wins in the end. It doesn't need to be propped up. We rely on the power of the gospel and that power alone. And it is the message about Jesus Christ, the good news. Now, let me give you another example. I love to cook and I love to have people in my home. And, and, one, and there's, there's several reasons why. I mean, I really genuinely like to cook and share um, what I think is some good food with, with people that I get to know. And I love to have them in my home. And, and just my wife does a phenomenal job of setting the house up. And just we like to work together in tandem to, to just create our home as a welcoming place. But one of the reasons why I also like it is because I feel vulnerable sometimes going to someone else's house. See, when you come to my house, I decide the menu, I decide the music, I decide how spicy it's gonna be. I mean, I, I kind of set the atmosphere. I, I'm the one that's in control. You're the one that's thinking, if, if, I'm, if you're the person that, that I've invited, you're the one that's thinking, what are they cooking? Is it a house that I have to take my shoes off? I mean, what, you know, you start to think about all those things about going to someone's house if you've never been there before. In other words, you're the vulnerable one if you're the guest. But if you're the host, you're the one that controls and is empowered to create the environment that you see fit. Now, that's not all bad. But one of the reasons why I struggle with this, because I was invited to someone's house many, many years ago, not someone in this church, who when I got there, they made a dish that honestly was really difficult for me to eat. Has anybody, ever, has anybody else ever been there before? I mean, as a Mexican, as a Latino, when they said to me, I made something that I think you're really going to like, their tofu enchiladas, I was really disheartened in that moment because there's no such thing. And so I don't ever want to have that kind of experience ever again. And so I've kind of got this thing where it's like, if I get invited, I'm constantly thinking about what am I getting into? What am I getting into? This is a point of vulnerability. This is a point of weakness. 
And Paul is the one who lands on the island of Malta, not knowing what to expect, but because the Holy Spirit was already at work, he was greeted with unusual kindness and hospitality. See, the Holy Spirit goes before the church. I wonder how many opportunities we miss to make Jesus known because we're not open to find ourselves in vulnerable places where we don't make any of the decisions and they're all made for us. But it's in those places, it's in that environment where we're vulnerable and we're weak that the message of the gospel plays out. It's not just when we're the host, but we're the guests. In fact, if you follow Jesus's ministry and life, he's mostly a guest being invited and not hosting. A Christ-like weak and humble posture is being revealed for living out our faith where we recognize our vulnerability and our shared need for people as the beginning point for sharing the gospel. And so let me bring it around to us as a, as, a, as a body before, this is what I want to say to you. I believe that we are being propelled, this body, this church, into surprising encounters. And I feel like the Lord is saying to us, I'm working in ways that are unseen in people's hearts. I love them and I'm sending them to you. Be willing to be weak and vulnerable and trust that my spirit is going before you and that I will be with you in that journey. That's the fire. It's about vulnerability. It's about warming up together and being with people you don't know. It's about seeing the gospel lived out in close proximity. The second thing I want us to look at is the snake. The Holy Spirit is leading us to make Jesus known. The unfolding story of the Holy Spirit leading the church today is that we are being led to make Jesus known. Now, this, this part of the story is really interesting. Um, one of the things that we recognize here is that the people from Malta, they did have religious beliefs. And Luke gives us an insight into what their belief system was. They believed in the goddess of justice who enacts judgment and punishes and brings vengeance for various people's wrongdoing. And we know this because they assume that, that Paul gets bitten by this snake because they knew he survived the shipwreck, but the goddess of justice was still paying him for what he deserved because at one point he was a persecutor of the church and stood by and watched believers be martyred and killed. He was a murderer. And somehow they knew that. But here's what I think is really interesting. Luke, the writer of the book of Acts, 
It's like he wants us to focus on what they believe. If Paul escaped the dying of the shipwreck, then the goddess of justice was surely going to make sure he paid with his life by being bitten by this viper, this poisonous snake. But he doesn't die. He doesn't die. And then we learn something more about what they believe. They say, well, if he didn't die on the boat and he didn't die by the snake, then he must be a god. And it stops there. In some ways, they're right. Peter was a murderer and he had already faced judgment. Jesus called him out on the road. Jesus offered him what they don't know yet. And that is that there's forgiveness. But Luke wants us to kind of just stay right there in, in the midst of what they believe. But here's what, I, here's what I believe is happening. At this point, their belief system, their barriers, are, their belief system are barriers that are keeping them from seeing, perceiving, and knowing Jesus personally and the Father's mercy and forgiveness through Jesus Christ. But it's sad, isn't it? It's sad that some people believe that their whole life, they're trying to appease the gods. They're trying to appease somebody. They're trying to appease themselves. They're trying, they're working hard and making the most of their own life. And this is sad that they live in that constant fear and that constant worry that they too may fail and incite the vengeance and the punishment of the gods that they believed. Another interesting thing about this part of the passage is that Luke leaves the whole question hanging about whether they become believers or not. He just kind of leaves it there. We don't really know. Does Paul share the gospel with them? I can't imagine that he doesn't. I really can't. But Luke wants us to know that their beliefs are important to understand them. And this is what I think is important for us to recognize. Be patient. Don't allow for the difference of beliefs to become a division. Stay attentive and stay close. Listen, pray, and wait. I think that they see the grand narrative. They're starting to see Paul, they're learning that his God protects and his God rescues and his God, eventually they're going to learn forgives. Paul's God gives a new identity and Paul's God gives peace in the midst of storms. I remember when I was in darkness. I remember when I was lost. I remember all the crazy things that I believed. It took time for all of that to get unraveled. It took time for all of that to be deconstructed. But I didn't know that there was a group of people who were praying for me, gathered in a small group outside of the church. They used to gather and they used to pray for teenagers in Los Angeles, terrorizing the streets. And I was one of them. There's a whole story of how I came to Christ, but I want to just kind of fast forward to the moment I walked into that small group and met those who had been praying for me. 
When I introduced myself, I said, my name is Gabe. And they said, we know who you are. We've been praying for you for months. It was only a matter of time. And what I came to learn later was they knew what I was struggling with. They knew the things that were holding me back. They knew the barriers. They knew how the enemy was holding me, holding me back and holding me down. And those were the things that they prayed about. And eventually, as the Spirit was working mysteriously in my life and wooing me to God, all the while they were praying for me until that day when they believed and hoped that I would walk into that room. And I wanna get practical here with this point. Like Paul, our past and our failures serve to shine the light of the unconditional love that God has for us. Don't ever be ashamed. Only let it be a now testimony of God's amazing love for your life. Our steadfast assurance and peace in the midst of turbulent times is a powerful witness to everyone watching. Pray for specific people in specific ways. Don't stop praying. Don't stop believing. You're the one. You could be the only one that's contending and believing for someone that needs to know Jesus. Let the Holy Spirit give you insights into the strongholds in their life and pray that they'd be broken. Prepare yourself in prayer always to have more love, more compassion, and more willingness to live out your life in front of everyone and to be an example of who Jesus is. Before I wanna say this to you, I really believe that right now in the life of this church, there is a re-equipping of every one of us for greater gospel witness. God is doing something in each and every one of us. I believe that new leaders are gonna be raised up. I believe that new horizons are going to be shown to us. I believe that new frontiers are gonna be given to this body. I'm so thankful and grateful for people like Pastor Brad and many of the people that are on staff at this church, our staff pastors, who are going to help us understand how to communicate and to live out the gospel in the times that we live. There's a unique anointing and grace on their lives to help us be all that Jesus wants us to be, to make Jesus known in these days through the power of the Holy Spirit. And now I wanna talk about fever, the last point. The last point is fever. So Paul is taken to the father of the chief official. And it says that he was suffering a fever and dysentery. And Paul went to see him. And after prayer, he laid hands on him and he was healed. And then like we read throughout many, many different instances in the, in the, gospel, in the gospels and in Acts, people came and they also were healed. The unfolding story of the Holy Spirit that's leading the church is that we are called to serve people in love and in supernatural power. God wants there to be a demonstration of healing from those of us who are called to serve. We've all grown up in a world from the cultural trajectory of the Enlightenment Project in which there is a firm trust in facts and science and modernity. The fruit of modernity is the visible economic and scientific technology advancements which have produced great confidence in those projects. 
but it has limits because with God, all things cannot be proven by science. They don't add up and they don't make sense. But in the world that we live in today, because of this reigning ideology, we live in a closed universe. It's hard for people to comprehend or understand that God is invading our time and space. He sees us, he knows us, he is personal, he cares for us, he renews us, and he demonstrates his power in love. We are all beneficiaries of this supernatural power that invades, intended to invade the public space. Let me tell you a story. I got a phone call from my mom. I knew that she had been diagnosed with brain tumors. My brothers, my sister and I, we had been battling with just even the sadness of losing our mom. And she called me the day before she was gonna get a pre-op x-ray. And she said, I'm gonna be seeing the doctor, son, and I want you to be praying. She was living in Los Angeles and I was living in Eugene, Oregon at the time, attending Bible college. And she said, I just want you to pray. And very soon after they would be doing the surgery that we had come to learn that our mom wasn't gonna be the same person anymore. Very rarely do people after the evasive surgery that she would go through are really very different in many different ways. And it was with great sadness that she was sharing, you know, that this was it, that the doctors were going to see the one last x-ray that then they can basically, you know, strategize how they were gonna attack these tumors. But they had been monitoring it for months and months. And so she went in for her x-ray. My mom and I had prayed as she asked me to, and I just said a simple prayer, and I just said, God, you heal. You've given us authority to pray over the sick and to heal. It was, it was so basic. I'm being very honest. It was, it was a hard prayer, but there was faith there. I really did believe that God can heal. She went to the doctor and they took the x-rays that they do. And the story she tells us that they took a long time to come back. She was waiting and waiting and waiting after the x-rays. But when they did come back, this well-renowned brain surgeon in Los Angeles comes into the room and he says, Ms. Pereira, we've never seen something like this before. Here's your x-ray from the previous months and here's all the tumors. Here's the x-ray we took today. My Myself and my colleagues, we've been looking at these x-rays and we just can't explain what has happened. We've never seen this before. Out of all the surgeries we've done, we've never had the tumors just disappear. We can't explain it. He looks at my mom and he says, are you a woman of faith? She says, I am. My son prayed for me that they would be gone and she was healed. The doctor said, you received your miracle. He just walked out of the room, dumbfounded, because he'd never seen it before. 
Because in his world, it's a closed universe. All we can rely on is science. All we can rely on is manpower. All we can rely on is our own inner life. But in the world that we live in, where the kingdom is invading, it's here and not yet. But we see the outworking of the kingdom all around us. In our world, we are being led by the Spirit to be people that have faith for the supernatural, to serve people in love and in supernatural power. In Acts chapter 28, 31, the Apostle Paul says this, says this about him, that he proclaimed the kingdom of God and taught all about Jesus Christ with all boldness. He never stopped. He never stopped until he went to be with the Lord. We are spirit birth, spirit formed, spirit led, spirit empowered church to carry out the ministry and mission of Jesus in our time. We are a part of the unwritten story that's now being told from the book of Acts. We connect to that story. The band is gonna lead us in worship. Then I'm gonna come back and I'm gonna pray over us. But the Spirit is at work in our church and the Spirit is at work in the church throughout the whole world. Yeah. 
evidence is all around that the spirit of the Lord is here. The miracle can is all around for the spirit of the Lord overflowing overflowing this place fill your heart with your love your love surrounds us you're the reason we came church and anybody else who's watching we'd be amiss if we didn't pray for healing if you're gathering in a home there's people there maybe they can gather around someone who's in need of healing I want to pray if you're alone and watching this it's okay my mom was alone when we were on the phone and I prayed for her. We're gonna pray and we're gonna believe and then we're gonna leave the results up to the Lord. And when I'm done praying, then I wanna speak a benediction over you, but let's pray. Lord Jesus, you are the healer. You know all the people right now that are watching this, their situation, their pain, their brokenness. Healing is not just physical healing, Lord, but it's mental, emotional. Lord, we experience brokenness and pain in so many different ways. And I just pray, Lord, with boldness, simply 
but in great faith. Jesus, in your mighty name, I pray for anybody right now that's listening that you would bring healing to them from head to toe, wherever there needs to be healing in the mighty name of Jesus. Touch them and heal them. Let your supernatural power be operative right now in their life. Let your presence fill that place where they are and heal that your fame would grow, Lord, and that there would be glory that's given to your name, but then also, Lord, that that person's life would be restored. Thank you, Jesus. Bring healing in the mighty name of Jesus. Before we are a part of the unfolding story, the preceding chapters in the book of Acts that are being written today for all the church all around the world. The Lord has set us on a course to turn the world upside down. The wind of the Spirit is in our sails for the journey to make Him known to the ends of the earth. In calm, sea, in calm seas or in dark storms, He is in control and the Spirit goes before us making a way. May you be people who are propelled by the Holy Spirit into surprising encounters where you're willing to be vulnerable and weak, knowing that God is in control. May you be people who long for being a part of leading people to know Jesus. May God use you in mighty ways to deconstruct and to bring to light the gospel, knowing who Jesus is for people. And may you be people that carry the servant ministry of Jesus in tender love and compassion and in supernatural power to the ends of the earth. In Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you.